0: Psalm chapter 8, to the chief musician on the instrument of gath, or gitteth, which means wine press, a psalm of David. You know, as you read the psalm, we're going to see that it's a messianic psalm, as well as a nature psalm. You know, parts of the psalms are referenced here in the New Testament three times. And again, we'll, it'll be obvious to you how they're referenced. It is a psalm that David probably wrote in his youth when he was out with his sheep as it expresses his thoughts about the vastness of the universe. And that's why we had that little video. How God lovingly deals with mankind. When we think of the vastness of the universe, especially with our narcissistic society that we live in right now, where the little one, the the younger ones, everything revolves around them. You know, the helicopter parent, everything revolves around them. No, you got to get the bigger picture, bigger picture. We live in a vast universe. And David starts out with, "O Lord, our Lord. Notice capital Lord and then lowercase Lord. Capital Lord here is Yahweh or Jehovah, the everlasting one, the everlasting one. The second Lord is commonly used throughout the scriptures, just means master. Abraham, Sarah called Abraham. Lord, it's a term of endearment, a term of respect, but it's also it can be used as a term of authority. In this case, it means one who is sovereign, one who is sovereign. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic, how excellent is your name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens. Above the heavens. Again, that video showed us, and we've known this for some years now, that the universe is endless. The stars are innumerable. Now, this is new information to us. Back in the 14 and 1500s, there were men who actually counted the stars. And if you disagreed with them, you were looked down upon because they were so smart. They had it all together. And we know exactly how many stars there are. No, they didn't. The vastness of space is really uncomprehendable. When you watch a video like that and you think, okay, I'm one person sticking off this big ball, sticking out in the vastness, it's it really causes your heart to wake up a little bit. That there's somebody bigger out there than you. And And for me, I can just kind of picture David lying on his back at night. You know, the sheep... Resting quietly around him, and and maybe a soft breeze blowing. Looking up into the heavens. Looking up into the heavens. I did this last night with our grandchildren. We had three of the grandchildren over last night. Kind of chaotic, but we were out on the trampoline. It was dark, and and I just said, "Hey, let's lay down on our backs, huh? What, huh? You know, when they're three and five, they don't get a whole lot. But yeah, just lay down. Can you stay still for a second? Just just kind of lay still for a second. It's hard to do. So lay still. Just for a th- I go look up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, party's over. Okay. Just the way it is. But I just get amazed at the expanse of God's creation. You see, God's glory is above the heavens. It's above the heavens. So when you see the heavens and you see a video like that, you, you got to realize God's glory is above that. It's majestic, it's incredible. Why wouldn't his name Be excellent in all the earth. It's not. Oh, Jesus. He's a good guy. He's a great prophet. He's Michael the archangel reincarnated. He's the brother of Lucifer. He never existed. No, his name is above all names. And when it comes judgment time, every knee shall bow. Every knee, including Satan's. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now that doesn't mean that he's their Lord. They're just proclaiming the truth that you are Lord. You are the ever existing one and you are sovereign. You are over all. If you've been doing the daily reading that we have, you you read today that Jesus spoke. We go back to Genesis 1. God spoke Colossians tells us that it was actually Jesus who did all the creating he is over all and without him holding it all together we would be scattered all over this universe instantaneously you see today we find those who want to worship the creation and ignore the creator but you see David here he focuses on both he doesn't ignore either or but he keeps them notice he keeps them in proper order out of the mouth of babes, here's one of the verses that you'll find in the gospels. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. Because your enemies, you have, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Jesus made reference to this verse after he cleansed the temple the second time. The second time. Towards the end of his earthly ministry. And the children were singing what? Hosanna. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the son of David. Hosanna, save now. And the religious authorities, they were quite bothered by this. Matter of fact, they told Jesus, tell your disciples to stop. Tell them, stop saying that. Because what they recognized, what the disciples didn't recognize, but what the religious elite recognized, is they were proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one we've been looking for. Why I say they didn't recognize it? Because they were looking for an earthly king, not an eternal king. But the religious elite realized that if if this is the Messiah, he came from God and he is God. And we know Jesus came from Nazareth, that he came from a woman who most likely got pregnant out of wedlock. So he's born out of fornication. So this guy is not the Messiah. So tell your disciples to stop. And do, do you remember what Jesus said? If these stop, If they stop saying, the rocks, it will be the first rock concert. The rocks will cry out because Jesus created the rocks. And Jesus would tell the rocks, not that the rocks have souls or spirits, none of that nonsense, but Jesus just would have commanded the rocks. Okay, rocks, your turn. These people don't get it. Shout it out. And they would have been shouting it out. He is the God of all creation. And what I love about that is that Jesus points to the little ones. They understand. They understand. And it's interesting how little children will trust in the simplicity of the gospel versus those who become educated and wise in their own eyes. If you look up statistically when people receive Jesus, I think it's 80% plus 80% of people receive Jesus less than 18 years of age. After that, they get real smart, and they don't need Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you don't have Jesus as your Savior, don't think you're real smart, because you're not. God spoke all this into being. What can you speak into being? You're not very smart at all. And if you think you're going to stand before God in your wisdom, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and see God's perspective of wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I love God's perspective of wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Now remember who's writing this. Obviously the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is using Paul, who was Saul, A Pharisee of Pharisee who had the first five books of the Bible memorized word perfect. That's what you had to do that to be a Pharisee. I have a hard time with one verse, let alone five books. This guy was wise. He knew Greek. He could write it. He could read it. How many of you know Greek and write it and read it? He knew Hebrew. He could write it. And read it. How many of you know Hebrew? You write it and read it. So That's two. He knew Latin. The common language of the day was Aramaic. How are we doing so far? I have a hard enough time with English. This guy was smart. He was wise. Yes. What does he say? Notice what he's writing here. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached... To save those who believe. For Jews request a sign. Remember what they were always asking Jesus? Show us a sign. Show us another sign. Oh great, you healed a blind man. Big deal. Show us another sign. (laughs) Big deal. (laughs) Hello. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. Oh, remember when Paul was in Athens and it says in the book of Acts that they just love to sit around and talk about new things. Philosophy. Well, what's the newest thing right now? 2017 what's the newest thing jesus Oh, don't bring jesus into this come on give us something new we want wisdom interesting but we preach christ crucified to the jews a stumbling block and to the greeks foolishness you believe you're going to go to heaven really you're such a fool You believe that Jesus lived and died and rose? You're such a fool. That's why they look at Christianity today. Why don't you grow up? Why don't you learn something? Why don't you go to college? Why don't you educate yourself? You and I, we're looked at foolishness. We're We're just fools. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And here's the point. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than man. God's weakest thought. We haven't even arrived. Mankind, putting people on the moon, the space shuttle, anything that you could think of that we have developed or created, we still have not even arrived at God's weakest thoughts. And we think we're so smart. We're never going to arrive there. Even at his weakest thoughts. Again, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your call, brethren. Now he starts to get a little personal. (laughs) That not many wise according to the flesh. Oh, he's talking about me. Not many mighty. Oh, he's talking about me. I don't know about you, but he's talking about me. Not many noble, ah, uh, yeah, that's that's me, are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world. Ow! That's me. That's you. But praise God. I'd rather be a fool for Christ than a genius for the devil. Because we know the end of the story. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? Why does God do this? That no flesh, that no man, no woman should boast in His presence. No one, no billionaire is going to stand before God and boast in his billions. Because he's not going to have his billions in heaven. Naked he came into the world, naked he's going back. Broke, destitute, and without Christ, eternally damned. Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8. Psalm 8. So know God and know Jesus. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, notice this, consider God's handiwork throughout his creation, especially the heavens. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you made him a little lower than the angels. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beast of the fields, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. Now, in in the big picture, I think that this is speaking of God in Genesis. He created man and woman and said, you're going to be over everything. But I also look at this as Jesus became a man. So Jesus would fit into the big picture, but then take it also down to a microcosm. Because Jesus fulfilled these scriptures. He turned water into wine, his very first miracle. He walked upon the Sea of Galilee. He stilled the raging waters. He raised the dead. He healed lepers. He gave sight to the blind. He restored the feeble extremities of men. And we could go on and on with that list. So why, and this is a good question, why is God even mindful of us? I think we got a slide. Why is God even mindful of us? Because he created us in his own image. That's why. We are created in the image of God. In the vastness of creation, even as we stare out into the heavens, in the vastness of creation, there is nothing that can compare to God's ultimate creation, you and me, the human being. Nothing can compare to that. That's why God is mindful of us. And then in verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. David finishes the psalm the way he started it. You see, after David meditates upon the universe, he goes back to the fact that God's name is excellent or majestic. It is God's name that is to be lifted up because he created the whole universe? How about you? How about me? Whose name do we lift up? Or whose name do we try to get lifted up? Like this past election. Two groups of Americans, predominantly. There were other groups, but you know, two groups of Americans spending billions, millions of dollars, not billions, it was probably a billion total between everybody, but millions of dollars to try to get a name in front of you and into your brain so that you will go to the polls and vote for that name. I did vote. It's important to vote. I never negate that. But I keep the name of Jesus above everybody else's name. Because that's where we're heading, guys. We are to be responsible. We're to do Our duties here as citizens, but keep the name of Jesus high and lifted up. Psalm 9, to the chief musician, to the tune of Death of the Son. A Psalm of David. Interesting. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most high. Psalm 9 and 10 most likely go together. Approximately every other verse starts with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet, or what could be called an acrostic psalm. This helped in the memorization as well as the passing on of the heritage of the Lord. And what we're going to see is in Psalm 9, it's a psalm of thanksgiving in the light of God's protection over Israel, while Psalm 10... Is a complaint over the evil that is taking place within the nation of Israel. So notice here in Psalm 9, David probably wrote this when there is relative peace within Israel. And you could check this out in 2 Samuel chapters 5 through 21. There were still injustices taking place, but as a whole, things were going really well. So David opens up this psalm in praise. And as we've already mentioned in the previous studies, David specifically employed men for the purpose of singing. In the tabernacle area. And David loved to praise the Lord. And the opening verse shows us that he worshipped the Lord with all of his heart. Again, who do you worship? Who do I worship? With our hearts. You see, David loved to praise the Lord. And he says, I will. Notice what he says. I have it highlighted in my Bible. I will, I will, I will, I will. Does that ring anything in your mind? Does that bring any scriptures to mind? How about Isaiah 14? Let's look at Isaiah 14. You see, David is expressing the proper attitude towards God and his ways. But let's look at Isaiah 14 and look at an improper way. Isaiah fourteen twelve. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Yes, this is Lucifer, the devil, Satan. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And that's believed to point to the other angels. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. I know you're a created angel. We will never be God. The Bible says we'll be like the angels at best. You can have never attain to godhood. But Satan thought that he could. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol. To the lowest Depths of the pit. What's the difference between Psalm 9 and Isaiah 14? Humility versus pride. Humility versus pride. And I know we can all identify with this because I'm sure we've all said it in our lives in one way or another. I will. I will. And it was based upon our abilities, our own strength, whether it's mental or physical. I will accomplish this, I will accomplish that. And I think that can be good in a sense, because we do need to have that drive, but it should always go back to humility. I will, if God allows me, to do it. If that's the Lord's will, then I will do that. You know when we came out here, I, I said to the senior pastor, Pastor John at Calvary Chapel Tri City, because I didn't know if I was called to be a senior pastor, you know, even getting into the ministry, it, it's 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 different. And then going from an assistant pastor to a senior pastor, it's different. I said, John, I don't know if I'm called to be a senior pastor. If it doesn't work out, can I come back in two years? I was totally serious. I know who I am. I'm humble enough to know who I am. I said, Lord, if it's your will, I I will go out and start a church in Queen Creek. If that's what you want me to do, I will. So we need to have that. But at the same time, you need to remember who we are. But if you don't want me to, I'm not going to, you know, just do it forever and hurt myself and other people. No, your will be done. Your will be done. How about for you? You know, pride versus humility. Pride versus humility. It's easy to praise the Lord in good times. It's easy to praise the Lord when things are going according to plan as we look back in Psalm 8. But what about when things are not going the way we think they should? Just like in David's life, he wrote Psalms when he was being chased by King Saul, when his life was in jeopardy. He wrote a song, Psalm 51, after he committed adultery with Bathsheba and acknowledged his sin. It wasn't always good for David. He had hard times, some self-imposed. What about those times when things like the whole world seems against you? You see, it's at these times that I think it's especially important, especially important to command our souls to praise and worship our Lord as it, is, as it will lift our perspective back where it needs to be, heaven, heaven. You see, when we say, I will, sometimes we can get our perspective on earth, and my will be done my will be done no your will be done on earth as it is in heaven so i will if that's what you will for me to do always keep it heaven's perspective verses three through six back in psalm nine when my enemies turn back they shall fall and perish at your presence for you have, notice this. Again, I highlighted this in my Bible. These those two words, you have. Notice as we read these verses, you have, you have. I will praise you. I will tell, I will be glad. I will sing. Why? Before you have maintained my right and my cause. You sat on the throne judging in righteousness. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked you have blotted out their name forever and ever o enemy destructions are finished forever and you have destroyed cities even their memory has perished david is praising god because of god not because of his own might or his family or those around him, no, because you are God. And as we look at these verses, a thought that popped into my mind was, because we often do this. Let's just look at it. Let's just look at it. I didn't have it, a slide made because I wasn't going to do it, but let's just look at it. Ephesians chapter 6, real quick. Ephesians chapter 6. This is so important. Maybe, Jim, maybe you can make a slide for the second service. Ephesians six ten through 12. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. But it says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Now, sometimes when I read verses, I like to interject other things or other thoughts. It, it helps It helps settle in my mind and my heart a little bit more. And especially for our marriage, because we had a very hard time in our first two years of marriage. We almost got divorced on our second anniversary. And so when I look at this verse, I, what, this is what it doesn't say. Finally, my brethren, be strong in Jim and in the power of Claudia's might. Feel free to put your names in there. It doesn't say that. But when we're in argu- having an argument, what are we having an argument about? I'm right and you're wrong. Otherwise, we wouldn't be having an argument. Finally, my brethren, be strong in Jim and in the power of Claudia's might. Doesn't that just sound goofy? Because it is. But when we put it in a proper perspective and we actually did this, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, our marriage was saved. So if you're having marital issues or you're having issues with other people, let's just keep reading. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the tactics of the devil. What is the number one tactic of the devil? Revelation chapter 12. Deception. That's the number one tactic of the devil, deception. Then it's to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10.10. So the tactic of the devil is first of all to deceive us into believing something. I'm right, you're wrong. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I mean, this was just incredible when we finally realized what this verse really said about Claudia and me. We're wrestling against each other. But the Bible says we don't wrestle against each other. Well, why are we wrestling against each other then? Because we were ignorant of what the Bible said. Ignorant just means unknowing. But now that we know, now we have to take this principle and apply it to our lives and stop arguing with each other. And stop arguing with other people. Why? But against principalities. Against powers. Against the rulers of the darkness of this age. Against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. That's who we're wrestling against. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, which we know to be the word of God in the following verses, that you, notice, that you may be able to withstand... In the evil day, and having done all, do what? Stand. Don't run, don't flee, but take a stand. And guys, we're in evil days. There's no question we're in evil days. And in Christianity, we need to take a stand. No matter what our president or Congress legislates, we need to take a stand for Jesus. And not think that the government's going to protect us. In the government I trust? No. In God I trust. Because you know how things change quickly. Verse 7 back in Psalm 9. But the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness. And he shall administer judgment for the peoples in up rightness you see the word clearly teaches us that god is a righteous judge and that he will have the final word as his judgments will be absolutely correct and boy i take great pleasure in this you see as god puts forth his truths every person has to make their own choice or decision about what god presents to them even this morning as i'm teaching here and going over these verses you have to make a decision what he shared was correct what he shared was not correct What he shared was biblical, what he shared was not biblical. What he shared was truth, what he shared was not truth. What am I going to do with this? You know, I'm sharing information with you, I'm sharing the word of God with you. You now have a certain responsibility, what do I do with that information? Do I just, ah, oh, whatever, another teaching, another Sunday morning. Or do you apply what the Bible is trying to teach us? Lifting up the name of Jesus throughout the week. Focusing on God's handiwork throughout the week and giving him the praise. Getting your eyes off of yourself. I will, I will, I will. And getting your eyes on him. No, your will, your will, your will. See, these are biblical principles. This It's just not another study. There are actual biblical principles that you and I, we need to incorporate into our lives. You see, no one will be able to accuse God of injustice. No one, ever, will be able to accuse God of injustice. Verses 9 and 10. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed. A refuge. The word refuge here is stronghold. Stronghold. A refuge in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. Again, I have this verse highlighted. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Isn't that an awesome verse? For you. For you. Comma. So normally when there's a comma, you should pause. For you. And and where does the direction go? Where does the head go? For you. And all of a sudden our, our eyes go up to heaven. For you, God. Everyone around me may abandon me. Everyone around me may disappoint me. But you, God. You, Have not forsaken those who seek you. Again, are you seeking after the Lord? Am I seeking after the Lord? We have those moments, but do we take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ and get our eyes back on God? Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. This is a great exhortation for you and me. When people in our workplace might ask you, what are you so happy about? Opportunity for witnessing. Five seconds. Oh, I'm just i going to die someday and I'm going to heaven. Praise God. Get back to work. Just let them think about that. Just let that think sink in a little bit. Man, that guy's a nut. But they'll be thinking about that for a while. They'll be thinking about that. Hmm, death. Hmm. Declare his deeds among the people. When he avenges blood, he remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. You see, David encourages us to keep right on singing praises and to speak of God's marvelous works and allow him to be the avenger of those who trouble us because there's going to be a book of remembrance that is going to be opened up on the judgment day. Not for you and me, praise God, but for those who stiff-armed God. Verse 13, Have mercy on me, O Lord, Consider my trouble from those who hate me, who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may tell of all your praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in your salvation. Notice that. I will rejoice. And David didn't even have Jesus at this time, guys. Think about this. We have Jesus. And are we rejoicing in our salvation? I will rejoice in your salvation. Take everything else away. What's doesn't matter. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Take it all. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they made. We talked about this in weeks gone by. In the net which they hid, their own foot is caught. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Selah. Meditation. Think about it. Think about it. Again, let God do the judging of the wicked. Because David goes on to say, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, the expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. One day, every person, rich or poor, those who have Jesus as their Savior, are going to step into heaven, and there'll be no rich or poor in heaven. Nobody's going to have a bigger house on Alleluia Boulevard. Incorrect theology doesn't work that way. No one in heaven's going to be going, "Ooh, I wish I had that house." No, no, none of those earthly thoughts are going to be there at all. Arise, O Lord. Do not let man prevail, let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Psalm 10. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked boast of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. Does that sound like today or what? The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. His ways are always prospering. Your judgments are far above out of his sight. And that might be momentary prospering because again at the end of the day nobody takes anything to heaven as for his enemies he sneers at them he has said in his heart i shall not be moved i shall never be in adversity his mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression under his tongue is trouble and iniquity trouble and iniquity Interesting, let's look at James chapter 1, James chapter 1, and then we're going to go to James chapter 4, and as we're reading this psalm, it seems like David is expressing a season of lowliness, loneliness, and it appears like he's wondering why the wicked get away with what they do. But we have to make it personal because sin can separate any one of us from God. Disbelief can separate us from God. But that doesn't mean that God is far from us because when we confess our sin, he's right there to forgive and cleanse us. But how is this applicable to us today? James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Very, very important as we see the church... Various churches under the banner of Christianity endorsing homosexuality, endorsing living together, male and female, before marriage, endorsing so many things that, that is counter, totally opposite of the word of God. And, those, and so what they're saying is, well, God's endorsing this. No, God can never endorse evil. He never endorses sin. But each one, here's the problem, Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Well, what should we do? Look at James chapter 4, 7 and 8, because God is not far away. But we can sense a distance from God by our own choices of sin. But James 4, 7 and 8 tells us, therefore submit to God. There's the the key. There's the key. If this is you this morning, there's your answer. Therefore submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's the devil who's tempting you, not God. It's the devil who's trying to deceive you, not God. So submit to God. James goes on to say, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. He's always there. Just draw near. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Boy, is James straightforward or what? We can't be double-minded. We can't have one foot in the word and one foot in the world and think we're going to succeed as believers. Doesn't work. Back in Psalm 10, God sits, or he... the the wicked one sits in the lurking places of the villages in the secret places. He murders the innocent. His eyes are secretly fixed on the helpless. He lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws him into his net. So he crouches. He lies low that the helpless may fall by his strength. He has said in his heart, God has forgotten. God hides his face. God will never see. So what does David ask? Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the humble. Why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, you will not require an account. That's why the wicked renounces God. God's not going to require an account. That's not true, but that's what the wicked say, even to this day. But you have seen For you observe trouble and grief. To repay it by your hand. The helpless commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Praise God. (laughs) This is not a prayer that I would encourage you to pray. But we talked about this before. Break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Jesus says pray for those who persecute you. That's what we're called to do. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. But I just love David has such a relationship with God that he can pray a prayer. God will correct him, but he can pray a prayer. He can pour out his heart. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his hand. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear, to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may oppress no more. Let's look at a few verses. Let's look at Philippians chapter 3, 17 through 19, as we look just kind of back up and look big at this psalm here. David is speaking of the evil or wicked men around him. And he paints a very descriptive picture of them. Paul paints another picture in Philippians chapter 3 that is important for you and I. Philippians 3.17 says, Brethren, join in following my example. Now, there's a really good question as the music team comes up. There's a really good question for you and me. Would you be content? Would you be content enough? Would you be brave enough? To say to somebody else, another believer, follow me. Follow me all day long and follow my example in Christ. Would you, would I? That's big. That's a big commitment right there. But, but Paul says, follow my example. And note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you in weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. I think that's a very good description of the church right now. The church universal. Let's look at Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. We'll wrap it up with these verses. Revelation 20, 12 through 15. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened, And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. Now the word dead here is not physical dead. It is physical dead, but it's more importantly spiritual dead. They do not have a relationship with God. They do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So they are dead. This is not us. You won't find this in the scriptures. We are alive in Christ. This is the great white throne judgment seat. You and I as believers, we will never be before this judgment seat. And the the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. You see, we're saved by grace through faith, not of works. Then death and Hades were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Notice that. Verse 15, if you do not have Jesus as your Savior this morning, your name is not written in the book of life. If you'd like to have your name written in the book of life, you just need to say a simple prayer and receive Jesus as your Savior, and your name will then be written in the book of life, and you will go to heaven. Don't mess with God. He's way smarter than you. Father, we thank you and praise you for this morning. And Lord, we thank you for the simplicity of the gospel. And Lord, we, we need Jesus. And Lord, we're going to, as the saints are praying, we're going to pray a simple prayer. And if you do not have Jesus as your Savior, you may be young, you may be very old, do not play with God, for He is going to hold you accountable to this very day. I may never ever see you again, but God is going to hold you accountable to what you heard on this Sunday morning, May 21st, 2017. When you stand before him, he's going to say, you heard the gospel and you turned it away. Or, he can say, you heard the gospel and you received Jesus. The decision is yours. If you would like to receive Jesus, just pray this simple prayer with me. If you're willing to acknowledge you're a sinner in need of a Savior, pray this prayer with me right now God I do need a savior I acknowledge that I am a sinner and that I cannot work my way to heaven it's impossible so God I invite you into my life right now I invite your son, Jesus, to be my Savior right now. I don't want to play church. I need a relationship. So I say thank you, God, for sending Jesus. And I say, thank you, God, for accepting me just the way I am. God, I invite your Holy Spirit into my life right now. And I trust that your Holy Spirit will lead me into all truth through your word in Jesus precious name amen thank you for this morning father and lord I just thank you and praise you for the free gift of salvation and lord as we go out this week into our mission field help us to have praises on our lips help us to realize people are watching us and people are listening to us help us to lift up your name father in any way possible, that you will be glorified this week in and through our lives. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Won't we all stand and sing a closing song? And if you need prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. If you receive Jesus, please come up. We'd love to pray with you. God bless you guys. Have a great week. And please, again, just remember Frank and Mary if you would. Really appreciate it. God bless you guys.
1: maker he formed my heart